you repeat results, you are in the business that is diagonally opposite to innovation. You know, I've heard people say it's all about execution. BlackBerry was executing really well. Trouble is, the world changed while they were busy executing. The most powerful catalyst for getting people into the right frame of mind to do something different and to innovate is actually the sharing of stories. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this episode, we'll be talking digitization decoded with Pascal Finette. We'll look at how to decipher the secret code giving companies like Apple, Google, or Uber their edge. And we'll talk about what it means to go through a digital transformation, how you'll know when you've successfully come out on the other side, and why you don't have to work at one of the world's most well-known tech companies to carve out a place for yourself in the digital world. Here with us today to talk all that and more is Pascal Finette. Pascal is a well-known speaker who covers topics that include digitization, entrepreneurship, open innovation, technology trends, leadership, and cultural transformation. He works in formats ranging from high-profile keynotes to workshops and executive roundtables. Anchored in more than 20 years of experience in the IT and internet industry with a vast network of subject matter experts, he regularly consults and delivers deeply engaging, refreshingly honest, direct, thought-provoking, and motivational experiences. Called a prophet by Germany's leading TV station ARD, featured in a primetime documentary about Silicon Valley, on the cover of Brazil's leading business magazine, and voted one of the top 100 internet influencers in the country by one of Germany's leading economic weeklies, Pascal's work is on the edge of technology, entrepreneurship, transformation, and global impact. His newsletter, The Heretic, is read by tens of thousands of changemakers globally, and he recently started putting out a mini-podcast of his own titled The Heretic Semi-Daily Briefing, which you can subscribe to on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else you may get your podcasts. Pascal was one of 45 global leaders to have an excerpt included in The Guru Book, a recently released collection of articles and interviews with well-known thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators about the successes they've had in the business world and the lessons they've learned along the way. Welcome to the podcast, Pascal. Thanks for having me. There's an amazing intro. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for, for everything you're doing to, uh, to, to move us forward. So there are a number of talks that you regularly give that are listed on your website, but the one that really jumped out at me was this. Digitization decoded. Decipher the secret code giving companies like Apple, Google, or Uber their edge. So at the risk of making this a really short podcast episode, what is the secret code? <laughs> I think there's a couple of things to uh, to understand. And I believe that your average company mostly is still wrapping their heads around this. And this is really around the idea of, first of all, once something turns digital, uh, it moves on an exponentially accelerating curve. Um, so we know this from uh, microprocessors where we've got Moore's law, but we see it in many other di uh, different industries as well. And this creates a very uh, different market dynamic. Uh, most companies are used to live in a world where their market moves mostly on a linear progression. In an exponential progression, and just to visualize this, imagine like a, uh, you take a, a hockey stick um, an ice hockey stick, and um, you have this hockey stick curve which peels upwards really sharply towards the end of the, the stick. 
Um, this is the, the world we're living in, in terms of the, the change and the dramatic abilities we're seeing. So once you turn something digital, you move on this curve. Um, Ernest Hemingway once wrote the notion of gradually and then suddenly. Um, and this is kind of like the world we're living in. If you just think about the, the mobile phone, the smartphone, it was a long, gradual progression until the iPhone came out. And then suddenly, of course, everything changed. So I think that's one. The second one is um, there's some key properties around when something turns digital and more and more pop pieces um, of what was physical hardware atoms right, turn into bits. And some of the uh, key properties change. And those key properties really are around the fact that the cost of uh, creation, the cost of duplication, the cost of distribution and storage go down, goes literally down to zero or very close to zero, um, as well as uh, you increase functionality because once you turn something digital, you can now suddenly make it very easily measurable. You can very easily change it. Um, you can have these things uh, done by software and not by people. And that creates very interesting dynamics. And of course, we've seen this many, many times over in the media industry. But we're seeing more and more businesses being disrupted by those uh, those industries. And again, like when you look at the the giants here in Silicon Valley, um, the Apples, the Ubers, the Facebooks of this world, they all live off these trends and they all drive their innovation by these trends. So in the tech space, we hear terms like digital transformation and the digital economy used quite a bit. Help us go beyond the buzzwords a little bit. What is the digital economy and why is it so vital for companies of all shapes and sizes to figure out their place in it? So let me start out with, uh, I actually pretty much hate this term, digital transformation. <laughs> okay. uh, it's just like, I think it is probably the best term we have, but it's, it, it has become such a buzzword and we slap it onto everything these days. I think what you uh, really want to look at pretty much for every business, every business is going through the same process at the moment, which is really thinking about and figuring out how do you, on one hand, digitize or digitalize your assets? Um, so for some businesses, it, think again, media, which was print and you know records was like plastic, basically, right? Like we created records out of plastics. They literally turned into digital goods. But many other industries which have uh, still produced digital goods, and you know, I'm from Germany, we have uh, a very, very strong uh, medium-sized business economy uh, churning out engineering marvels those are physical products, but these products get enhanced by becoming uh, connected, right? So we add sensors to those products. We make them internet connected. We add uh, information into the, into the process. And that really is your, your digital transformation. So one of the misnomers a lot of people have when they talk about digital transformation is they think it's you know, putting up a website. And granted, you should have a website in this day, day and age. Um, but it's really much more the idea of when you look at your full value chain, that the products and services you deliver, the question becomes for me is how can you enhance this value chain by either turning it digital and where that isn't possible, thinking about how can I increase the value and the uh, features in this value chain by adding digital to it. Um, and this affects pretty much every business I can think of. Yeah, and, and the word transformation implies that you're changing from one thing or one state to another. And I know you, you hate the term digital transformation, but do you think it's the kind of thing that someone would ever be able to put a stake in the ground and say, you know, okay, we've done it. The digital transformation can now be considered complete and we are officially a digital organization. You know, in, in, in software, uh, so my background is in software, right? In software, we have got this idea of uh, releases, right? Like you've got your version one, your version two, and your version three. 
And then uh, recently, we started uh, using something called continuous release, where uh, you think about, uh, for example, your web browser, if you use Chrome or Firefox, um, there's actually not really a version anymore. It's like updating permanently. And I think when you think about the digital transformation, there surely is these milestones which you will hit where you know you start inserting uh, digital components into your value chain. Uh, you start connecting and collecting data. Um, you probably add uh, machine learning and or AI capabilities to your processes. But I believe that it is very similar to what the software industry went through from uh, you know, I release a new piece of software every three months or six months or every year to something which we now call continuous development uh, deployment, right? Like your your Google gets updated, you know, 50 times a day. And I think the digital transformation is a very similar process where uh, we are very rapidly moving into this world where you just add stuff every single day and evolve as the market evolves. Yeah. And and one of the concepts you speak often about is the concept of exponential technologies, and that's what you're referring to with the kind of the the hockey stick earlier, I believe. But can you talk a little bit more about what exponential technologies are, and maybe give a few examples? Yeah, absolutely. So we see in a lot of technology areas that these technologies are they're evolutionary in in nature and uh, thus move on these exponential te- uh, exponential curves. And a very simple example is an exponential curve. The simple version of an exponential is a doubling every time period. So you go from one, two, four, eight, sixteen, and so on, and that creates these these explosive growth. Uh, particular later in the in the process. And again, we've seen this in computers. Uh, Gordon Moore, 50 years ago, formulated something which later became known as Moore's Law, saying that computers every two years at the same price point get about twice as fast. Um, and this has been true for 50 years uh, and uh, mostly is still true today. We see these trends in other industries as well. So energy, for example, you currently see the rapid fall of prices in renewable energies, particularly solar um, wind to a certain uh, certain degree. Um, we see it in fields like synthetic biology, where uh, the cost of genome sequencing is dropping at a rate uh, at an absolutely unprecedented rate we've ever seen in the world. And what this allows you to do is, in in very practical terms for you as a business, is you can do more with less, and more with less in very dramatic ways. Um, so, a very simple example is, until um, probably fairly recently. Um, certain things in computing were just not feasible, right? Because it was just too expensive. Uh, I remember very well, like I started my first company um, in the internet space in the late 90s, and we paid about a million dollars just to get our hardware together. That same hardware I can today rent on Amazon's cloud for 50 bucks a month, right? So the decrease in prices, the increase in capacity allows us to do things which were just unthinkable before. And that uh, creates cascading effects because now I can use, uh, let's say, for example, artificial intelligence um, or machine learning on my data sets, uh, which I couldn't do before simply because it was cost prohibitive. And that gains new insights for me. And those new insights then lead to new innovations. And those new innovations lead to more data and more insights. It's a continuous circle. And just out of curiosity, what were the uh, what were the some of the early companies that you that you founded or were involved in? Uh, so the first company I founded um, out of college, again, like this was in the li- late 90s um, during the first dot-com boom. Um, and hold your breath. This is probably the most amazing business idea ever. Uh, but we did digital greeting cards, um, something called e-cards. Uh, and back in the day, that was an actual thing. Today, of course, it's not. 
but we uh, we created this content, and then particularly we created a uh, content delivery platform which allowed us to um, white label this and provide it to other uh, companies as a service. So basically, what you would call a SaaS business, a software as a service business today, that lasted for a little while, and then the dot com crash happened, and uh, you know the rest is basically history. Um, but after that, um, I had the great fortune and, and um, incredible pleasure to join uh, eBay in Europe uh, in their pretty early and very formative years. So I saw e-commerce explode uh, onto the onto the world, and then from there went back to a software company, etc. But yeah, so I, I was very blessed and fortunate to be at some of the more interesting uh, intersection points uh, in terms of technology and and uh, commerce and business um, throughout my career. Yeah. And I understand from doing a little research before the interview that you recently threw your hat into the podcasting game. What can you tell our listeners about the Heretic Semi-Daily Briefing? Uh, sure, yeah. So um, you mentioned earlier that I do write a, a newsletter, uh, which is kind of a semi-daily newsletter. Uh, I started this a couple of years ago, has now about 1,200 posts. Um, and they're all pretty short. You read them in about two, three minutes. It really is about like from the trenches of written from the trenches of entrepreneurship and innovation. And um, a little while ago, a friend of mine uh, reached out and said, "Like, hey, we've got this thing uh, called Alexa, uh, which you might know of, uh, the voice assistant from Amazon." And Alexa rolled out a new feature called uh, the Daily Briefing. Um, so you can literally go to your Alexa and say, "Hey, you know what's new in the what's new in the day?" And you can subscribe to services like NPR or uh, other news sources. But what I didn't realize is that you can actually create your own. So out of a, on a whim, basically, we created this voice version of my newsletter, understanding that not everybody wants to read a newsletter. And that voice, of course, as you very well known uh, as, as someone running a very successful podcast, Thank is you. a wonderful medium. <laughs> so uh, we started out with the Alexa thing. And then a bunch of people um, came back to us and said, like, hey, this is really cool, but we also would like to have this as a podcast. So as so many things in my life, I stumbled into it, and um, we'll see where it goes. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, one of the ones that I listened to, I loved, and it was about meetings, which is a subject that I'm sure is near and dear to the heart of many of our listeners, because we all know that's where true innovation happens. Hundred uh, percent. Yes. Uh, so, so what's the problem with meetings, and what do you think just might be the antidote? Well, I think meetings. The problem with meetings is meetings. Quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, I, of course we need meetings, like don't get me wrong and I don't want to sound flippant. There is necessity for us to coordinate, etc. I just think that um, the vast amount of meetings, at least the vast amount of meetings I have attended throughout my career in all different kinds of uh, capacities and companies all suffer from the same things, which is people are they're ill-prepared when they walk in. Uh, you walk out of the meeting often without any clear action points. Um, there's an insane amount of like chit-chat and and unnecessary talk in these meetings. They're badly run. Um, so I have a, I have a, a pretty strong dislike of meetings. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's antidotes for them. And you know, one being that um, I just be super clear what the meeting is about, like keep meetings much shorter than we probably think. You know, one of the interesting questions around meetings is, for example, the reason why I think most meetings are either 30 or 60 or even 90 minutes is simply because uh, Outlook uh, or your Google Calendar or whatever you're using has these really nice little slots which you like full, fill out. I, just to give you an idea, is like uh, I recently started um, basically mandating my meetings, my calls, etc., to be typically 20 minutes, which cuts out 
most of the um, the chit chat and like just gets to the point. Also, I refuse to do meetings when I don't have an agenda, and I refuse to do meetings where it's not clear what the meeting's about, what the what the outcome is. Um, and then, of course, there's meetings where you have to hash something out, and those meetings are typically do for two hours um, because if you really need to hash something out, you actually need like focused time. And there's a whole bunch of other uh, little uh, you know tricks and 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 ways to to solve for this. Uh, highly recommend looking into how Amazon, for example, runs their meetings and. Uh, they famously have um, everybody write basically a a memo um, about the meeting and then have people in the meeting, in the beginning of the meeting, read the memo so everybody's on the same page. Um, so there's a whole bunch of like hacks and tricks, but um, I think meetings are, they're just the bane of my existence. <laughs> yes, and the, the recommendation you give in the, uh, in the, the mini podcast episode is to rather than having a meeting, uh, actually get out there. Everyone who's supposed to be in the meeting, get out there and talk to a customer and spend time with yes. them, learning what their life is like. Uh, you can learn much more outside the four walls of your organization uh, than you can inside them oftentimes. Yeah, and by the way, this has an interesting uh, side story to it. So uh, one thing I do uh, in uh, some of my workshops and talks is uh, when I'm in front of uh, executives, Fortune 500 executives, um, medium-sized company executives, I like to ask the room, when was the last time you spoke to a customer? Or simpler ask, like in the last, let's say, 72 hours, have you spoken to an actual customer? And it's pretty devastating to see how few people have regular interactions with their customers. And if you know, if you have learned anything from, from Silicon Valley, and uh, again, this gets, gets us back to like the original uh, question around digitization decoder and what you can learn from Silicon Valley, is Silicon Valley, uh, to a large extent, is very obsessed with like talking to their customers. And it makes perfect sense because like, they're the people who pay you, they're the people who build, like, want to use your product, so you, ha- you better have to understand them. Um, so yeah, so one, one of my antidotes was basically to say, for every additional meeting you want to put on my calendar, we all have to agree that we speak to a customer for the same amount of time. Um, that helps cutting down meeting time pretty dramatically. Yes, and uh, I, I know from experience, because we're a Google Apps organization, that you can change the default time for a meeting to be 30 minutes rather than an hour. So one one little pro tip for anybody out there who may use uh, GCal, highly recommend passing that along to all your colleagues too if you're sick of sitting in meetings all the time. So let me ask about the Guru book. I mentioned it in the intro. It's how you ended up coming to us in the first place through a recommendation. What is the Guru book and what is your piece that's in it about? Yeah, the Guru book is this wonderful compilation uh, with Jonathan put together where he basically asked a whole bunch of uh, leaders and the vast amount of them, by the way, are way more accomplished than I am to effectively write a piece, um, and these are typically, you know, anything from like in a book about three pages, four pages, five pages, so relatively short uh, morsels of insights. And um, what I loved about the the concept when uh, it was brought to me was there was no specific framing. It was basically just say like, hey, listen, we want to write a book about innovation and entrepreneurship, and we just want to have like your take on it. It's a little bit like a coffee table book. It's like one of these beautiful books you don't need to read cover to cover. You just pick it up. Uh, you pick a story. You read that story. And, you know, you take a, hopefully take a nugget of inside or an inspiration out of it. And then you just put it back and, you know, pick it up again the, uh, the other day. And uh, my, so when uh, Jonathan approached me about this, I wrote um, a piece on a quote someone gave me a while ago, which is, love is made is work made visible. 
And I really just like love this idea of doing what you love and like expressing, uh, expressing your skill and your craft through the product you create. Um, and I believe that the, the most loved product in our, in our lives and often also the most successful products in our lives, uh, resemble this very, very nicely, right? So the reason why uh, Apple products are so desirable is because they really embody this. Um, the reason why a lot of the online services we love, we do love, is because they really embody this uh, this idea. Uh, and, and it really speaks to my, my overall, I think, design aesthetic or uh, preference for design. Yeah, and I, I love the... Uh... I love the design of your website. It's finette.com, F-I-N-E-T-T-E.com for anyone who may be listening and interested to check it out. Maybe revolution is the point, is the uh, is the message that greets you when you land on it. Let me ask one more thing, Pascal, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, you're, you're the chair for entrepreneurship and open innovation at Singularity University. Uh, what is what is Singularity University and what's what's your mission there? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really weird, interesting place. So Singularity was founded about 10 years ago by Peter Diamandis, who is a, a very successful entrepreneur, comes out of the space industry, so really a pioneer in the space industry, as well as Ray Kurzweil. And Ray is uh, one of the leading thinkers in the world on topics such as um, artificial intelligence. And they created a space, a place, where they wanted to effectively... <laughs> figure out and inspire people to apply technologies. Um, and it, it is embodied in our mission statement, which is to inspire, educate, and empower leaders to apply, to leverage exponentially accelerating technology. So the stuff we just talked about in terms of computing, genetics, et cetera, to tackle humanity's grand challenges. So the idea is like, how do you get people and empower people and equip them with the knowledge to use technology for good? And do so on a grand scale, like we talk literally talk about how do you affect a billion people? Um, so we, we love to dream big and inspire people to dream big. And how do you do so through technology? And granted, not every problem in the world will be solved by technology. We know that. Um, but there is a good subset of problems which can be tackled by technology or through technology. So it's an incredibly inspiring place. And um, uh, we do our work mostly through education. Um, we have a and this was my original role at Singularity until recently. I built a, a startup ex- incubator and accelerator. We have a venture fund, so really working on the, in the trenches, as well as work with large corporations on their innovation strategy. It's a really, really unique place. Okay, very nice. Well, Pascal, thanks so much for coming to us all the way from Silicon Valley, where you have a, a front row seat and are participating in much of the innovation that's happening in the tech space today. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about decoding digitization. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's a really pleasure and honor to speak on your podcast. Oh, thank you too much. You're, you're, you're too modest. We appreciate the kind words. And thanks again for coming on. If you'd like to learn more about Pascal Finette, you can follow him on Twitter at at pfinette. That's P-F-I-N-E-T-T-E. You can also visit his website at finette.com, where you can sign up for his popular newsletter called The Heretic, and learn more about his new mini-podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Guru Book, which features insights from Pascal and 44 more of the world's leading entrepreneurs and business leaders, you can visit thegurubook.org. The Innovation Engine Podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. 
head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and we post extensive show notes for each episode on the Three Pillar website at threepillarglobal.com slash podcast. That's three with the number three. Last but not least, we're always striving to improve here on the Innovation Engine podcast, and we get asked often, who listens to it? We can see from our analytics that a pretty healthy number of you do listen, but raw download numbers don't do much to help us learn who out there is listening, what your day-to-day jobs are like, and what kinds of topics or which specific guests you might like to hear from. So if you'd like to help make the innovation engine a little bit better, please take a few short minutes out of your day and shoot me a quick email with some of that information. Will.Sherlin at threepillarglobal.com is my email address. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and message me there. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next time.